Hey, hey, and welcome to the latest issue of the Three Old Geeks podcast. I am joined once again by my cohorts. First of all, the evil genius, the keeper of the inner sanctum, and the numbers guy, Keith of Keith's Comic. Keith, how are you? Ah, worn out, but waiting for the weekend. You look, uh, you look road hard and I'm put away wet there, pal. Peaked. You are a little peaked. You need to get some sun. I own a comic store. Yeah, Here's that's six true. Days that's, a week. That, that makes you no allergic sun. to the sun. And of course. The man who's always wrong, and with the hole in his collection, the pictures guy and the dirty old geek, Brian needs one. Brian, how are you? I am exhausted after issue 69. You really need to dirty up your dirty, though. Yeah, you were you were relatively clean. Yeah, I, 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 I should have probably told you ahead of time that it was issue You know what? I'm glad I didn't tell you it was ahead of time that it <laughs> was issue Thank God I don't pay attention to shit. Yeah, and you don't listen to the well, podcast. Well, you won't listen anyway, so you wouldn't know. And I, of course, am the world's oldest kid sidekick. I am the words guy. My name is Lance. And we were somewhere around Schomburg at the start of the podcast when the drugs kicked in. <laughs> Welcome to another issue. How come I don't hate you more? You're a sidekick. Brian, you, uh, do you have some news for us this week? I do. I what? do. We what? have. Uh, I know. I know. Uh, we had, unfortunately, uh, lost... Though he's not a member of the geekdom, I would certainly put him as a uh, as an influence, and that was of course uh, the great Jim Steinman. Past, best known as the producer of Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell. Oh, okay. Also, Bonnie Tyler, uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart. You have mentioned two pieces of music that I absolutely despise. So thank really? you for that. Yes. Wow. wow. He uh, he did work with Def Leppard. Okay, that one I'll spy you. Uh-uh. They fired him. Oh, okay. Well, they were probably <laughs> smart then, so, uh, yeah. He uh, he was not their type of music. But, uh, yeah, the passing of the great Jim Steinman uh, is sad. So, moment of silence for Jim, and, of course, uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family. The other bit of news for this week is that uh, Jupiter's Legacy has been canceled. Yes, So, there I will be that. no season two. I couldn't um, stay awake during season one. That's part of the problem. Uh, there are some other uh, Millar world. Nothing isn't, isn't super criminal. Isn't in super criminals the yes. next one? Okay, that, that one's actually pretty good. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy was phenomenal. I, I, people, just, if they would have read the comic, they told it wrong. I'm not going to say that they didn't. Too, they tried to do too much of his origin, and it just kind of didn't need that. Too much Josh Jamal. Okay, okay, not enough Chloe. But still, um, and for all you people on YouTube who do um, videos on these types of things, his name is um, Mark Millar, Mike Millar, whatever, Millar. Mark Millar. Mark Millar. Just call him Millar. It's Millar World. It is not Miller. Please stop calling him Miller. 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 Miller World. It's Millar World. Millar. If Millar, it was Miller World, it Millar. might be succeeding. Please fucking do that. Please. Anyway. Brought to you by. <clears throat> they did Mark. cancel, and uh, and sadly, uh, I was really looking forward to season two of that. But that's that's the big news. I got my own. What? what? The great Donnie Yen was added to the cast of John Wick 4, yes, making yes, it even was. better. Excellent. 
All right, so for this week, we uh, technically have two films that we are joining the cult of, but one of them we've already belonged to the cult of. And that, of course, is number 43 on the Ringer's list of top 50 cult films, and that is Akira. Oh! Which we did an in-depth review of way back in September 15th of 2020, issue 32, available on all your favorite apps, so check that one out. We are so far ahead of ourselves. We were ahead of the game on that one. So instead, we are this week joining the cult of number 42, which is, of course, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, directed by the great Terry Gilliam. And adapted from the 1971 Hunter S. Thompson novel starring Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro as Hunter S. Thompson or Raul, whatever he was, his alias was. And of course, Dr. Gonzo. Also Arthur or something else, too. Yeah, there were, there were a number of aliases. aliases. Yes. But, um, wow. <laughs> um, Come this, on, film guy, give us a breakdown. This was a drug film. Hunter S. Thompson was a drug guy. Yes. Whether you took drugs or not made you feel like you were on them. Terry Gilliam did a wonderful job of that. I, You know what? I didn't know that he directed it until the end. Yes. A couple of interesting fun facts that I discovered in uh, in doing the research on this. Uh, Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were originally going to do uh, Duke and Gonzo. Huh? They were also talking Dan Aykroyd and Belushi, but Belushi died before they could. When did this film came I'm out? I'm about to say, yeah. That, that, he died a long he died time before. He did. No, this, this film came out... Um, he died in 1983, He right did, too. but this has been, they've been talking about this. Like, Scorsese originally wanted to oh, direct okay, it. Oh, okay, this, been, was a, this has been an option for a long time. This came out in 98, which I did not mention. I think they should use Will Ferrell. No, not Will Ferrell. Yeah, <laughs> no, Scorsese and Stone, and both early on, like right after this was published, uh, wanted to get the film off the ground. Oh, no. So this, there, there was, this has been in talks for a long, long time. Uh, Rhino got the rights to it and hired Terry Gilliam and Johnny Depp and, and Benicio Del Toro came in after this. But, um, yes, so this is the story of Hunter S. Thompson and his um, lawyer, yeah. Yeah. Chicago lawyer, uh, going to Las Vegas to cover a uh, motorcycle race in the desert. And that's like three minutes of the film. If that. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, uh, the drugs kicked in uh, before they got to Vegas and... Yeah. It is a uh, it is a trip, man. You know what? The Tobey Maguire cameo. <laughs> There's a ton of cool cameos in this. Yeah, threw me through me. I like Craig Burko being in it. Yes, and um, oh god, um, the guy from SVU. Yeah, yeah, Elliot Stabler. I can't think of the actor's name. Oh, Maloney. Yeah, Chris- Christopher, Christopher Maloney. Maloney. Yeah, uh, that was a great. Yeah, Christopher Maloney yes. pl- plays the, the gay uh, desk clerk or whatever, which was a complete departure for him because he's such yes. a tough guy. But um. Yeah, what did you guys, I mean, like, what did you guys think? I mean, you know what, I, I'm glad that we watched this film so close to Harold and Maude. Because I'll tell you, we, we when we talked about that one, we had talked about the things that I found interesting when I was 20 are different than the things I found interesting at 50. And now I'm past 50. And I, I watched it with that in mind. With the, uh, what would I have enjoyed at 20 versus what now. Yeah. Uh. Because now I'm thinking, you're just fucking up these people's jobs. You're just fucking up their jobs. <laughs> yeah, just... Like the poor, the poor clerk who was like, our, our, you know, he sit there said something like, our, our room service was thirty two dollars an hour. Like they were calling room yes. service like every yeah. hour or whatever. And you're going, this poor pastor's got to sling all that food up there. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, every every person he dealt with 
He was nothing but a pain in the ass. Yeah, I, and and I'm watching the cop scene with them all in the thing. Watching that was funny as shit, by the way. But uh, I I just kept thinking, wow, my the, what I would have found interesting when the film came out is not what I find interesting today. Also, not doing drugs at this point in my life, but having some experience. They did a really good job of kind of creating the world where... Well, you've brought this up on several occasions. Terry Gilliam is a world builder. He's yes. a mess. You jump into his movies and he creates this this living space in his films that you completely buy. Yep. This is a world I didn't want to live in. No. I've, uh, I've never done drugs, so I don't... I've never lived in that world. I never want to live in the world. To me, this was a great anti-drug film. You know, it was it was kind of a cute, funny little film... Even with all the shenanigans, up until the point where Ellen Barkin, the Ellen Barkin scene, and after that, it just got dark. You just kind of, mmm, that the tone changed from that diner scene uh, completely. The film changed. Yeah. And it it just was no longer a fun-filled drug romp. Yeah, like Uh, all this crazy stuff, and the people all are turning into lizards, and they're screwing, and uh, so, you know, it was, yeah, that was... Two girls fucking a polar bear. Yeah. (laughs) After that, it, it, it kind of went to the dark side of the drug world. Yeah. You know, where you were like, oh, it's fun and games and look at them go. But it's interesting that you should mention that because of the, I guess it's the famous line. I've never read the book, but the famous passage in the book is the one that they kind of made a big deal of in the movie where Johnny Depp has this kind of monologue where he says, Strange memories on this nervous night in Las Vegas. Has it been five years? Six? It seems like a lifetime. The kind of peak that never comes again. San Francisco in the middle 60s was a very special time and place to be a part of. But no explanation, no mix of words or music or memories can touch that sense of knowing that you were there and alive in that corner of time in the world. Whatever it meant. There was madness in any direction, at any hour. You could strike sparks anywhere. There was a fantastic universal sense that whatever we were doing was right, that we were winning. And that, I think, was the handle. That sense of inevitable victory over the forces of old and evil. Not in any mean or military sense. We didn't need that. Our energy would simply prevail. We had all the momentum. We were riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave. So now, less than five years later, you can go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas and look west. And with the right kind of eyes, you can almost see the high water mark. That place where the wave finally broke and rolled back. It's a really moving line, but that was the thing that it struck me is, is like he was trying to talk about like in the '60s it was so cool to be in like a part of the drug culture and the hippie culture and stuff like that. And by '71, when this is taking place, yes. you're just doing drugs. Yeah, you know, and it's like it's like it's not you yeah, know this, this anti or... this anti-establishment thing yeah. or yeah. you're part of the cool. It was just you're doing drugs. Yeah. Now now you're now you're into the dark side. Yeah. 
the, yeah. the kids who who stopped doing it and grew up um, versus the ones who never stopped. Yeah. And you can see that, but that yeah, the 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 tone change after the diner scene for me, that's what made it. it I don't know. The film got uncomfortable at that point. It's, I mean, it was working its way there. It. it, it the Christina was, Ricci, yeah, the whole yeah. Christina Ricci thing, and, and they were implying that uh, that Gonzo was kind of sleeping with her, and she was really young and stuff like that it was kind of creepy. Put her in a hotel, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, 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 yeah, essentially pimp her out. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. like there weren't really cutting making thousand dollars a day. Yeah, well, you know what? I think that that was um, Hunter S. Thompson's way of just getting her out of the room. I, I don't think that that was ever a thing. Okay. I never, t- I didn't take it as a thing. I took it as him just trying to convince this guy to get rid of her. Yeah, like th- this, is, this is not going to, this is not going to end well. Yes, like nothing but trouble. Yes, okay. uh, and you're also in a. Yeah, they implied that she was too young. Yeah, but her fucking Barbara Streisand pictures were yeah. funny. And then had to have, she got kicked out. And now she's wandering the streets. It, yeah, that part of the film, and then it goes right into the diner scene after that, and I was. Just... And then they, yeah, and then they get back to the the flamingo, which is where I always stay in Vegas, and uh, he does the what, was it like adrenal adrenal chrome or something oh, like yes. that, and then and then it turns into like this whole messed up, you know, he's, oh. he wakes up and he's got stuff taped to him, and you almost can't figure out what's real <clears throat> and what's not. Yeah, at that point. Well, no, and they, the, the the establishing shot is like the whole you know, in the opening scene is kind of famous where they're driving through the desert. They pick up Tobey yeah. Maguire, but it's you know he's hallucinating that there's these giant bats oh, crashing, so yes, and bats, he's swatting yeah. at him. And then like they pull over, he grabs his suitcase full of drugs, yeah, and then they drive away, and there's a, a dead bat sitting there. Yes, so you're going to kind of go, well, what's real and what's not here? Yeah, you're starting with that, um, but at that point in the film, you really don't know. Because they have like a swimming pool now in the floor of the hotel room, yeah. and water is pouring in from the ceiling. And there's just yeah, did, you couldn't tell where reality was and where yeah. Well, Terry Gilliam went on record and said he wanted to make the best movie and the worst movie of all time. And I, and, and I, I I find that find that argument hard to argue with. You know, I I don't understand what makes this a cult film. I, I mean, I've other had than, that problem with a lot of these films, though, really. Uh, other than, again, uh, mixed reviews, financial failure, but it's, again, it's cited in, in Wikipedia is it picked up steam in DVD, okay. so I think yeah. that's where it qualifies as the cult yeah. film. Not the, this wouldn't be one where I'd go to my brother who's a film fan and go, you know, oh, hey, you got to check this one out, it's really good, or something like that. This is more of like a, again, it's more of like that, well, you should you should watch this at least once, type of a film. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Del Toro was brilliant in this. He was absolutely brilliant, and I thought he was the worst part of the movie. Really, I, I he, you couldn't understand what he was saying half the time. He was completely belligerent the entire time. I thought Depp. I actually thought Depp made I the movie. They like were Depp both was like great in this movie. Oh yeah, Johnny Depp. You expect to be great. I expect him to be great. I, well, no, he did the whole, he was staying at Hunter S. Thompson's pad. He was wearing, like, some of the clothes he was wearing were actually Hunter S. Thompson's. The cigarette oh. holder was was Hunter S. Thompson's. So he, like, really was, well, like... He, he died in, in 2005. Yeah. yeah. Which surprised me, because I had thought he died way earlier. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that, well, that kind of lifestyle. Just, like, I mean, I know, I know this is kind of 
the, you know, film feature film take on his, you know, heroic consumption of, like, you know, mind-altering chemicals or something. But, dude, you can't tell me you could do all this and not shorten your lifespan. I mean... You know what? When he when he was doing the Adrenal Crone or whatever yeah. it was, that scene, I was laughing out loud. When he kept flicking his tongue yeah. and he kept... <laughs> No, he was working. I thought the way he worked, like the cigarette holder. Yeah, he, it was in every scene he was yes. smoking. Yes, and the way he he would work it and work it from either side of his mouth, and he was using it as a prop. He was just, I thought he was brilliant. But there were points where I thought I could, and this takes me out of a film where I can see an actor acting, and there were just points to it that I I just felt like I could see that. Okay, you didn't you see, and I thought that was. Benicio del Toro, like he was trying to be as big of a slob as humanly possible, type. Of thing. I thought, I just, I I thought he I was brilliant it. in this. There was a darkness to him that under that was an underlayment to the entire performance that you just watch and go. You never knew if he was actually going to <clears throat> stick somebody in the neck with that knife, or the yeah. you know, the shoot gun, the gun yeah, yeah, or yeah. the yeah. Uh, I just and then they would switch when he was in his office, and you could buy him as a lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this guy who's in the bathtub and the the bathtub scene, I, I oh, just thrown it. I've taken that bath <laughs> with pretty much all your clothes still on, type of yes, thing. Yes, and and shit floating in the water. You don't even know what's going on anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought he was brilliant in it. I really did. And and Depp looked like Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, Orton yeah. Bill Murray. I thought so. <clears throat> Where did Buffalo? No, just kidding. Yeah. Which, by the way, is another film that I've never seen the whole thing of. I've seen parts of. I have it on DVD. Uh, I don't know if it's on our, our list. It is. I don't no, there's no way that's on the list. I don't think anyone knows about that film hardly at all. Oh. Well, because that's another Hunter S. Top. Yeah, yeah. Where the Buffalo Top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. With him in, uh, oh, what's his face? Shit. Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. Uh, Peter Doyle. Doyle. Peter Boyle, yeah. I, um,. I don't know that I would recommend this film. I'm not disappointed. In so much that as I saw if you are a fan of film or a fan of I don't know Terry Gilliam's films or something like that, you need to see this. I couldn't take. I literally, I was like, oh shit, it's two hours, and then, and then like I looked and I was like, oh my god, it's almost over. Like I could not take my eyes off this film, whether it was like because it was a, a train wreck or because it was some brilliant piece of work or whatever. Yeah, I can't figure it out either. Like I said, after it, it only grew uncomfortable for me after the diner scene, or yeah. going Actually, out the Christina Ricci scenes where it started gambling yeah. for me. When they where uh, it comes back and hey, I got this girl. She's a big Barbara Streisand fan. I'm like, okay, what's this? <laughs> yeah, nah. The, the Ellen when they cut back to Ellen Barkin crying yeah. in the diner. That was when I went, okay, this is now you're seeing kind of a dark side to this that he wasn't showing you prior to. All right, so. Uh... Gotta ask, what's the uh, the star rating in this one, boys? You know, it's Terry Gilliam. I'm just because it's Terry Gilliam, and and I enjoyed the performances. I'm gonna give it four. Okay. If it the acting directing, yes, I would say it's four. But I just the the content and the confusion, and maybe it's just me never having done this shit. I I give it a three. I, I was I, I was think, leaning towards I think three. It was, I think it was really well acted and really well done. But the whole content just kind of kept on throwing me. I'm like, I don't, I, well, now you it, know what it's it like to it, do drugs. It wasn't fascinating yes. either. It wasn't like, that's cool. I'm like... No. 
what the fuck's going on? There I, was nothing about it that was no, cool. No, so it, But I would have found it cool <laughs> when I was 20. And I don't know if I'll actually ever go back and watch it again. No, I won't. So... All right. Well, I'll I'll tell you what. I'll split the difference. I'll say uh, I'll say a three and a half star movie. All right. This week we have joined the cult of fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Let us know what you think. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right. So for this uh, week's edition of a film that people also watched, we watched the 2020 uh, release of. <laughs> And Brian and I both looked at this title and and then read the read the the synopsis. <laughs> we gotta watch this. Twenty twenty's Uncle Peckerhead, written and directed by Matthew John Lawrence, starring David Littleton, Chet Siegel, and Chet Siegel's a gal, and David Bloodband. And this is the story of a up or, or, of a uh, a punk band who uh, is going on a small tour and needs a van. Their first tour. Their first, first tour. They quit their all their jobs. Uh, they need a van to get around, and they find uh, kind of a homeless guy living in a van who offers to be their uh, roadie, and uh, he is the nicest, most supportive guy, and he's uh, he's really awesome. Except for uh, at midnight, for thirteen minutes, he turns into a flesh eating monster. Who doesn't? And that's that. That's the basic premise of the movie. It's a great fucking concept. <laughs> it is a great. You know concept. what? I could have done. Do- I I could have watched this movie without the monster stuff. Oh god, yeah. I because being a a roadie and a and a band guy and stuff like that, I related to so much of this on so many levels that I wish I could have turned into a monster for you know thirteen minutes of time to get even with some of these people. Wow, such hostility. I really enjoyed this movie. I really I liked, I it, liked too. it a lot. I really liked it I, too. Uh, this this movie had was better than it had any right to be. Yes, the punk band, uh, duh, duh, played against type. So these are not your traditional punkers. Yeah, they're almost like kind of like uh, like suburban punkers, yes. almost or whatever. Yeah, yeah, because it was two gals and a gay guy, and and it was funny. Yeah, and they were just funny. the The one girl was really nihilistic, and then the gay guy was all positive and happy yeah. and uh and, and and i could relate with the bass player because she just wanted to keep things organized and yeah. on time and yes she was the control freak yes she uh, was but the, you know they get, every time they talk about the band and they'd have their band meeting they do the little uh hug and jump up and down and go See, yeah, yeah 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 you need to do that before show. we're not we're not doing that <clears throat> lance that really video. wants to hug us i know I, what he wants is to wrap his arms around us and uh and he's fighting. Whatever the opposite of that is, that's what we'll do. Whoa! <laughs> My head went to places. My head went to places on a movie we're going to talk about soon. <laughs> um, the music in this was great. I really enjoyed the music. Yes. yes. Uh, great little soundtrack. I think there were some missed opportunities. I. You know what? If anything. Um, I, I didn't like the end so much. <sighs> I didn't really I have agree. a problem with it. I don't know. I, <sighs> it was kind of cliched. You knew it. I, I kept watching through the whole movie going, this is going to go dark at some point in time. And they picked the moment to go dark, which I didn't think was all that dark. I was laughing through. So, but that was the moment it turned. And... Oh, yeah, it was a predictable turn. You knew... When they all end up at that house, that this is where everything's going. Yes, go and 
I just didn't um... like the, and, and and actually like I think it was I was I was waiting to see where this was going like I, I was anticipating what the end was going to be. The end came and like the and I want to say like the last like minute, like really kind of like disappoint. Like I just I thought there was there was going to be some punchline or some payoff or something. It was just well, it looked like no. it was setting up for a possible sequel. Maybe that's what I got out of it. I appreciate that they left it open. I like the character of Uncle Pepper. I love Uncle Pepper. Uncle Pepper Pat. Uncle Pepper Pat. Oh no, he he made the he again just like oh he makes scones and he's paying for breakfast and you know and just he's really polite. He's a super nice like you know southern gentleman type of thing. Yes. Yes. He has thirteen bad minutes a day. Give him a break. A sex scene that was still very uncomfortable, but. Not as uncomfortable as the one in Watchmen. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, and, and it's like I I have literally been in. Hey, go get the money from the the, the yes. club owner or something like that. And, oh yeah, well I know I promised you fifteen hundred. Uh, here's fifty. There wasn't as good a gate. And then the you the, the the guy's drug dealer comes in and he's buying an eight ball of cocaine. You know, it's like I've been in that one. I've met the the dick guy, the dick lead singer from the other band. You know, where oh well. You know, we should really be going on first. You know, yes. I mean, like I could completely relate with pretty much everything that these poor guys were dealing with, with the exception of the actually, you know, playing the music and finding that moment where, you know, you you felt like you were born to do this, and this is the first time you felt like it. I thought that was a great yes. line. I thought a missed opportunity was the metalhead scene. I felt bad for the metalheads because I'm a metalhead, but well, so did I. But there were so many. Album cover references yeah. he could have made. There were so many just... Uh, I could have been like, dude, you're that's so cool. You're like yeah. a demon. And then he rips the guy's head off or whatever. You yeah. Know? Uh, exactly. Uh, because that, that Either genre that or, lends itself We had also that. talked before we got up. Or the, I've seen this album cover. I'm not being in this album, yeah. album cover. And then running the other way. Yeah. <laughs> it just, to me, I, I thought that that was a missed opportunity. And that would have been fun. And metalheads, I don't ever, being a metalhead, I don't remember ever being so dicky. No. Or knowing people that were that dicky. No. No, they were, but they wanted to smoke dope and just enjoy the music. Yeah. Uh, not saying that I did that. <laughs> Brian, the facial, the, the rolling the eyes doesn't doesn't come across on the on the audio. I oh, it I, does. <laughs> Brian being silent comes across. Comes as, across. Oh, he's making a face. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was a missed opportunity. I agree with you. I was disappointed at the ending. I didn't hey, particularly love it. What would you guys it. change? What would you have made the ending? Then? I, I, that's the thing. I don't know what I was looking for, but it was such a quirky little movie. I thought there was going to be kind of a quirky little end to it. Yeah. And it just turned into like a horror movie end, you know? It, yeah, it was predictable. You know, you, you you find out that he's he likes being the beast a little bit more than he... Yeah. Said, and that he's been lying to them, and... A little misleading, yeah. Yeah. But still, I, it just went against... It went against the character. Yeah. that's Maybe that's what was so disappointing. It, it was, was like petty he, and malicious. Yeah, it was and, just sort of like, it's just sort of like, oh, he really is a monster. Yeah, you know? It's like, eh. No, and I, I, I love the dichotomy between the two, and I, and I thought it was fun. And I thought there could have been something they worked out. I, I think that they... But the whole fucking, I know you're covered in my dookie. 
I was crying. I kind of I I watched that scene, going Brian's laughing his ass off. Yes, right now. <laughs> I was fucking crying. I, I I expected the I expected the slaughter. I was not expecting that. No, no, <laughs> and uh, no. <laughs> Whole lot of no to that. Yeah, I I I just um. Yeah, he was more the monster, but but they didn't build the character that way, and I didn't like. Yeah, that. that's maybe that's what that's a good way to put it. I maybe that was the disappointing part. Keith, you're not saying a lot. Not a lot to say. I fucking talk. I, I, I fucking talk. I, I didn't have a problem. I get the whole thing that uh, you know he was a monster, but he played to be nice. Isn't that like every serial killer ever? Yes. So I think they were going with that kind of angle. He was he was lying, but he was an expert at lying, and that's what. Oh, okay. Well, then he sucked me in because I thought he was a, he was yeah. a super yeah. nice guy until the end. It did seem like that. He kept on every. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, every time he did so, something went awry, it's like you know, oh, you don't understand. I'm sorry. Here, let me buy you, you know, breakfast, or I'll you know I'll drive the van. I'll pay for everything. Yeah, it was, it was just like all, you know, kind of excuses. If he really. Had the thing to put himself to sleep at midnight, he wouldn't have been up past midnight. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So I, I got that he was, you know, they did try to play it off as a victim of circumstances. I would like to know what his origin is. Well, how this came to be, why it is. I turn into a thing. I, I want, I want uh, the origin of Uncle Peckerhead. Ah. I, um,. You're one of those need to know guys. Yes, I yeah, was, I, I was just—I was good with the. He's just a monster. I, I, you know, when he said, "I don't know why, I don't know when it happened." Yeah, I don't buy any of that shit. <laughs> I just turn into a thing. Thing, yeah. You're a monster. I prefer thing. thing. Uh oh my god, fucking. What's well, your name, Peckerhead? That is not a name. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that is what my miserable son of a bitching father called me every day, my entire life. All right, so Uncle Peckerhead, what do we think, boys? You know what? I I, I think it's I I would recommend it to people. I give it four. Four? I, I was gonna give it four also. Go right underneath that and say three and a half stars. Oh, always that ending really bothered you. Uncle Peckerhead, that's a movie that people also watched. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Okay, so we are following the latest Star Wars offering on the Disney app, uh, The Bad Batch, and we are on episode six, which was titled Decommissioned, in which the Bad Batch take on another mercenary job uh, to acquire a. And I was this I was this a canon thing like, or did they come up? Tactical droid. Tactical droid. Okay, so they they come up. They they they're. Hired to retrieve a, a tactical droid from a, uh, a, a basically a junkyard, mm-hmm. uh, and they introduce a couple of uh, new characters. Mm-hmm. No, oh, these are not new I characters. They were no. from like they're from Clone, Clone Wars War season seven. Oh, okay. Uh, there was a four issue or four issue four episode arc. Last force with Ahsoka. Right after she leaves the Jedi ten- Temple, she stays with these two twins. Okay, uh, they're not twins. I'm sorry. Sisters. It's an older sister, younger sister. So this would have been right around the same time. Oh, uh, well, no. no. This would have been before that. This would have been, well, no, this would have been after, because this is okay. after Order 66. Okay. And Ahsoka stayed with them when she left the temple, which was right at the time of Order 66. But weren't they in it, it towards the last episodes, too? 
No. Who's, who are those two girls then? The ones in the ship right before she fights Maul. I know this has nothing to do with the episode. No, no. Uh, those aren't the same two. Okay. I can't I don't tell think. Them. I can't tell them apart then. Are they all clones too? No. Okay. I'd have to watch now to see if they were in those episodes. Was, it was the it was, first four of uh, season seven. That was Bad Batch. It was the first four of season seven. Okay. It's the second four of season <laughs> okay, seven. Okay. Because I watched those before we watched Bad Batch. Yes. But like I said, they... They, I believe they were in like the episode leading into that whole... Yeah, it was just orders. before the arc. Just so, before that. Because she leaves and goes and, and... She leaves them. She's with yes. them for... Okay. And then Order 66 happens. Yes. So uh, this is just right after the Ahsoka meeting. Okay. Uh, and they actually make reference to that. There's a couple of little lines where they talk about um, not judging people. Okay, so does that... Uh, bringing that up is so when they get it towards the end and they say, hey, there's a... Uh, Group of rogue clones and they're doing mercenary work. We thought you'd want to know was that supposed to be Ahsoka on the I don't know the hologram. We don't know. I don't know. I couldn't tell by the robes. Okay. I couldn't tell. Uh, I couldn't tell if that was Fennec Shan, if it was Ahsoka, if it's a new player. Well, it's not going to be a new player. I actually, for some reason, it jumped to me like Bail Organa. Could be. Okay. Uh, yeah, because it's it it's more of a. Um, Masculine shoulder? No, I was going to say it's more of a rebel move. Oh, yeah, you could tell the two gals were working for the rebellion. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that Hunter was willing to give them and you, show that he wasn't. Yeah, you'll yeah. do the right thing with it. Yeah. So what was uh, what was your opinion of this episode? I oh. thought of... Okay. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna, oh, my God, Omega gets in trouble again. And gets yeah, I kind of... Oh, my God. I'm kind of... I don't already, but go ahead. I don't think that she got into any more trouble than Wrecker did. She, Wrecker gets knocked out. Yeah, but she was about to go into the fire and they have to sacrifice everything. And he gave up the information, one, to do that, and two, he owed her for t- helping save Omega. Yes. So, again, why do you bring her on these missions? Because you can't leave her on the ship. Stay in the ship. Yes, Carol, Ken, and... and... She won't, because she's precocious. <laughs> Just, so, so, Robin. She's precocious. Okay. <laughs> And she just won't be helping. Omega's back. day out. That's what I'm gonna call it. Uh, I I didn't. I wasn't as annoyed by that in this episode as I was in the last episode. Yeah, that other that episode. That was two episodes no, ago. Yeah, it's every yeah. other episode. She, you know, next. That's what I'm afraid next of. Next episode, she could save them all again. Could be. <laughs> could be. I'm still intrigued by her. Yeah, I, I'm I becoming wanna... less so, honestly. She couldn't hit the target in the ship. But she could shoot a gun and... But she she was able to shoot flawlessly Yeah. when she was in the group setting. But this had to do with her strength, I think. I think they, they excessively made point that she's not strong enough to pull back that bow. Right, but she was... She channels. She either channels the force or she's an empath and she channels what's going on around her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, think that, that there's no doubt about or that. Or she unlocks that part of her cloneness. Yeah, if she, if she is like a combination of all those skills together, she is the Omega, the last. That could be a true clone, a special clone that she has the, the abilities of all of them, but she just doesn't know how to channel them. Where each one has their own special. She is a super scroll. <laughs> Boy, that's going to come up in a little bit. Ah. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Yeah, she didn't annoy me as far as that went in this one. I really enjoyed the episode. 
good action in this one. I always love stomping yes. a bunch of robots or a bunch of yeah. droids. Yes. Uh, we did see Wrecker with the good soldiers follow yeah. orders. Yeah, that's coming. Yep. yep. And I still pose, again, my theory that Wrecker's going to be the test case where they cure... They cure records to realize they can cure crosshairs. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yes. Though I would think it would be great if Crosshair died. Nah, wow. it's quiet, you. He's my favorite. But he wants Fennec to be there, so. Well, no, because nobody's expecting it. I think everybody's expecting them to heal him. Okay. So you're thinking that might be the swerve then? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm always wrong. You yeah, are. So I think Tech should die because he's the one that solves everything. And that would leave a spot for Omega to do that. She's not anywhere near as smart as him. I know, but again, she'd have to work at it. She'd have to channel that part of her. Oh, I can channel tech. Yeah, just oh, saying. I'm just saying. It. I'm just saying that that tech seems to come up with what they need pretty easily too all the time. They rely. Too I, you much know what? Too I would, I would not say it's easily. I, he comes up with it. But sometimes it's not as easy. No, but as... I mean, I'm just saying he's always coming up with these solutions, yes. and you, you remove that and you create a vacuum for her to fill. Yeah, I suppose. And tech, not the the. She could also become the sharpshooter. She could. I like that weapon. That's cool. Yeah, the the the, the for, or the blaster bow or yeah. whatever yeah. you want to yeah. call it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I like the fact that uh, again, the uh, is it Sai the Sid Sid. The uh, Rhea Perlman or whatever. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah, the, the, she's got a background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're not strong enough. Here. Yeah. She's an interesting character. And they're doing a, a phenomenal job, as Filoni does, is building this universe and interconnecting it. So that's why I, I, they kind of left it on a, where the where the girl's selling them out. Was she, was she giving them to Darth Maul? Yeah. No, I don't think... I think it's going to be and you like you have, were saying. you have that reoccur with Sid, too, I'm sure. There's going to be a couple moments where you think she's selling them out and she's not. I think she's going to. I think eventually I she think is. I think she's But I think bastard. there's going to be a bunch of false... Yeah. False... Oh, my God, she's selling them out. Oh, no, she wasn't really. And so, yeah. so you get the whole... Next time they show that, couple wait, couple times down the road, she's actually selling them she out. She actually like, sells them out. Oh, she's not doing that. Oh, she did. She did do that. She is an evil bitch. Heartless. In it for the money. Whore. I just, just stop. So is this one uh, still? We're still enjoying this one, boys. Yeah, quite a bit. I'm, I'm still watching. Yes, I, I I actually didn't even realize I hadn't watched it till last night. Oh, this is why I was up till two. Because <laughs> I went. Oh, I forgot. So it's to watch, not grabbing you. I forgot to watch Bad Batch. It's. Eh. It's got potential and it's got leading. I mean, it looks like it's is, but I'm I'm like really getting tired of Mega already. Okay, but you know how I feel about Sidekick. I'm waiting for that episode. I feel like I kind of feel like I, I, we got we got the one that really good, like the fourth episode where it was really good and dark and stuff like that. I'm waiting for the next the next one of those where they step it up even more. Yeah, where, yeah. where it kind of advances the story and. I, these yeah. so the last couple seemed like they've been fillers. I, I, I figured around episode eight when we hit halfway, halfway point, they're going to come up with something. Follow the beats, boys. All right, that's the Bad Batch. Let us know what you think. Tune in next week, same geek time, same geek podcast for all new, all different material. Thanks a lot for listening, and hey, keep on geeking on.